Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast by the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay. On today's episode, we're previewing United's season opener against Brighton this weekend. I'm joined once again by Samuel Luckhurst. Samuel, how are you doing? Even better for seeing you today in, in the flesh at, at Carrington, Rich. It's, it's a pity we just couldn't, couldn't uh, do this recording at Carrington, but we, we've got to be professional. We've, we've got to have our faces on camera. Apparently, people want to see our faces on camera these days. So here we are, uh, de- debriefing after seeing each other just over an hour ago. Yeah, of course. If you are listening to this podcast, there is a, a visual version, as it were, available on our social media channels. And I'm sure you'll see some clips from this podcast as well on the socials, Man United MEN on Twitter, which is the main one where they get spread out on anyway. But as someone said that, we've both been at Eric Ten Hag's press conference ahead of that season opener against Brighton. I guess the r- current running theme, which has been all week, Samuel, is... Cristiano Ronaldo, Anthony Marshall has been officially ruled out of the game now. There's this dilemma, and we'll get onto maybe our predicted lineups later in the podcast, but Cristiano Ronaldo has really sort of divided the fan base on what Ten Hag can do with him. He has disciplined him. He said it's unacceptable for any player to leave a match early, as he did last weekend against Leo Vallecano. But he has reiterated that it wasn't just Ronaldo who was culpable of that. I know Joe Godalo was spotted as well. Not too sure specifically on who else was there and who left early. But Eric Ten Hag has said, you know, this isn't just a Ronaldo issue. He's been keen to not blame the player solely. What have you made of his handling of the situation? Well, kudos to the Dutch broadcaster who who asked Ten Hag the question in midweek during the, the media day at, at Carrington. It was pretty clear looking at from what the English rights holders asked Ten Hag that they'd been told don't go there. Um, even at Old Trafford on on Sunday, Ten Hag only spoke to MUTV afterwards, and myself and, and Rob Dawson were in the corridor to, to speak to uh, Christian Eriksen, and, and after after speaking to Tom Heaton, it was I think we twigged that even then um, Stuart Garland, the MUTV interviewer, had been politely reminded or asked not to ask about Ronaldo. Uh, there was no chance of that not happening uh, today. I think there must have been half a dozen questions or queries regarding Ronaldo, which is ty- is entirely understandable given the, the state of play there. And he, you know, Ten Hag did have a verbal ding-dong with with our colleague Simon Peach, who I, I think was caught... <laughs> He was, he was caught unawares because uh, somebody Took else... for the team, asked, I suppose. Yes, he did. Somebody else asked the team news or the injury news question. And so he had to he had to ask about Ronaldo. And there was some to and fro in there, which got awkward at, at a couple of points. And I think Ten Hag said, I have to point this out. And he literally did point his finger, uh, reminding everyone that Ronaldo was not the only one who left the Rabai Cano game early, which everybody knew. I think there were around 10 players who'd left before full-time. But as somebody else pointed out, they, they qualified Ronaldo being singled out because he was the only player who appeared in the game and left before full-time, which however way you look at it, even though it's Ronaldo, it's it's not a great look. And it's not a great look, particularly given the uncertainty around Ronaldo's uh, future. That said, I think there's every chance he will start on Sunday now with with Marshall out. And I, I don't think it's even a debate. I think if you've got your your most reliable source of goals, which is still Ronaldo, and if he's still at the club, you've got to maximise that asset there. The alternatives are just too underwhelming or just just not good enough, frankly. Uh, and Anthony Langer, since he scored against Atletico Madrid in February and 
I, I was, you know, one of those people who wrote one of those pieces about, you know, the, the making of Elanga at United. His his form has has fallen off a cliff. Really, he's not scored since then. He had a very underwhelming preseason, to say the least. Garnacho is an exciting prospect, but he's a prospect. He's not someone who should be thrown into the first team on on the first day of the season against Brighton. He's he's got to be learning his trade still. And as exciting as he was to watch against Vallecano, it was his first appearance in pre-season and he, he was excitable at the times in a positive sense and a negative sense because the indecision wasn't always there with his game and um, I mean, he's, he's certainly preferable to Tahith Chong, let's put it that way, but he shouldn't be starting against Brighton and just from a a football perspective and a political perspective, I think it has to be Ronaldo because if Ronaldo doesn't start uh, against Brighton, win, lose or draw, that that is the headline from that game. And United could do without it. Ten Hag could do without it. But when it comes down to the football decision, it, it has to be Ronaldo. And it doesn't oust Sancho or Rashford. Sancho's played from the right in pre-season. Rashford's played from the left. It's pretty much a light-for-light change. And it's pretty crazy that we're in a situation here where people are wondering, would United have been better off starting the season with Anthony Martial rather than Cristiano Ronaldo. That's just how how very quickly things can change in, in football. Of course, first competitive game as well for Ten Hag. Pre-season, there's so much mitigation. It doesn't really matter. It's about the performances, getting your style of play established, setting those standards. But the real test starts on Sunday, doesn't it? I know Ten Hag said that you know, it's United, they have to win every game. You know, there's got to be a lot of pressure on Ten Hag to deliver the result this weekend, particularly because United then have Liverpool and Arsenal in the opening six games. If you don't, you know, if you're dropping points very early on, then you're going to start losing places already. You're going to have catching up to do before you even start playing the, the tougher teams in the, the division. And some of you have already sort of made your position clear, but... It is just all about winning this weekend, isn't it? And the performance almost doesn't matter because that could be brushed to the side and say they're a work in progress. But United really do have to win on Sunday. It's it's an obvious thing to say, but they particularly need to win these first two games, Brighton at home and Brentford away, ahead of Liverpool's visit on, I think, two weeks on Monday. It's, It's the Monday night football and just discussing with some people at Carrington earlier, the fact that you're... at from from a United perspective anyway, they're looking at Brighton and they're thinking, you know, that's, that's quite a tough game. They're looking at Brentford and they're thinking that's a really tough game as well. That's how far United have fallen and that they're approaching these games where they're feeling a bit dicey about it. They're, they're feeling a bit slightly on edge about it. I, I think they're in a much better place to beat Brighton uh, this weekend than they were in May, to say the least. It, it, it does help that Brighton have had not the most... I mean, their, their business this summer has not been particularly noteworthy. They've lost two very good and, and key players in Yves Basumu, who's gone to Tottenham and Cucurella's now joined Chelsea. So they're not as, dare I say, daunting an opponent for United, which is a strange thing to say about Brighton. But Brighton had a very good season last season. There's so much to admire about them. As a football club, their coach has every right to be at the top of Bookie's chalkboards as as the next England manager as well. I think Potter's just, he's done a terrific job there. He's been there for three years, I believe. And you can see why he's been in the conversation to take over at clubs like Tottenham, I think one club last season. And he would have been a worthy candidate to have taken over at Everton as well. But although United squads is is incomplete and they're short in certain areas they they have 
you know, they have adapted well to Ten Hag's demands in pre-season. The, the football has been watchable. It's been progressive. The players all seem to be on the same page and an understanding of, of the demands of Ten Hag as well. And of course, you can always read quite a lot into pre-season and too much into pre-season. And the acid test is is Sunday, whether they can transmit that form to a competitive game. I think it did help with the Atletico game, even though they lost, that it, it was it was competitive. It, mm. you, you were there. It was it was quite feisty. I think that was the word you used, and it was it was a bit nasty at times. And maybe that was a bit precarious that preseason coming up against Atletico, given the, the amount of artisans they have in their team and, and the way they approach any game, whether it's a Champions League final or a friendly. But that first half was probably the most fulfilling half United had across their their six preseason games, and it ended nil nil. It's it's not like they. Um, they, they were going in one nil up or two nil up, but I think that was probably the most, uh, from from Ten Hag's perspective, the most helpful half that he'd have um, had across across the preseason schedule. So although you know, the the mood certainly among the online fan base is is pretty downbeat, angry, uh, it wasn't a surprise that social media. Um, study this week found that the majority of footballers abuse on online are Manchester United players. I mean, that, that does not reflect well on, on, on an online fan base. I know there's mitigation in the case of maybe Ronaldo being towards the top because you've got Lionel Messi fanboys trying to goad him every second or millisecond, but it wasn't a surprise to see that Harry Maguire was up there and there are other players who have copped flat because of what, what, supporters perceive they've not done for United and um, you know that whether that the only way to, to change that is is to have a successful team I'm not saying United are striving to be a better team again to appease the online fan base I, I think that they've got to kind of zone out from that and clearly some players have zoned out from that but just to improve the mood because of other things that are more tangible. Um, you know, there's, there's talk of another protest this weekend, as flawed as it probably will be, given the form of that group's previous protests. They could do with nipping certain things in the bud. And, and the best way to have done that in the summer would have been to have had a more fulfilling market, but that's also a work in progress. And speaking of the recruitment then, I mean, three new signings at the time of recording, Terrell Malassia, who I, I, I was really impressed with in that Atletico game. I think yeah. he could be a wild card selection this weekend because, you know, Luke Shaw was ill. Malassia really took his chance. I know the online supporters do love him. He's got a real good attitude, real good work rate. Still quite raw, but I think that, you know, yeah. you might as well start playing him given those minutes because he needs to adapt to the Premier League. Christian Eriksen, impressed with him in both games again. He's just oozes clash. Class, sorry, he is sort of in that Juan Mata mold, isn't he? He's just got the technical ability, but he's got the legs to go with it, and he can still, you know, deliver at a very high standard in the Premier League. And I think that's going to be interesting dynamic with Bruno Fernandes as well, because obviously, since his new contract, he's he's not been good enough, and now you've got someone who can, you know, legitimately come in and and stake a claim for his starting role as well. And then you've got Lissandro Martinez, who Ten Hag is a huge fan of and offers something different in the back. And one quote from Ten Hag today, Samuel, was, "I'm convinced." we have a good squad we can still strengthen the squad but I think the team has shown they can play to a good level which is basically covering his back in case United don't sign anyone else he said he's, he is happy with what yeah. he's got but he obviously does want more United still haven't strengthened the two priority positions central midfield and attack what have you made of the business so far and do you agree with Ten Hag do you think that there is a way they can 
I mean, their goal is top four minimum, isn't it? Do you think they can do that with the players they've got already? Or do you still think that there has to be extra faces before deadline day? Oh, they need they need additional players. I don't think that squad is is good enough to finish in the top four. I, I hesitate to say good enough because events can occur at other clubs that, that let a club in. I, I certainly... Going back to the 1920 season, I was strong-armed in the end to predict United as finishing fourth uh, when I was my instinct was to say fifth. And of course, that was the season where Arsenal... Um, I didn't see Arsenal really as a threat to United, but Arsenal sacked their manager before Christmas and Tottenham sacked Pochettino before Christmas. And so events conspiral at other clubs. Mm. And you could see that happening at Chelsea, for example. I think the way Todd Burley is operating is... It is a throwback to Roman Abramovich's first summer, and I, did, I thought those days were were over in football. But it feels a bit scattergun. It doesn't feel particularly strategic, but the signings they have made are impressive. They're good players. It's a very good squad. They've got a, a really good coach as well. But you just sense that there's a bit of a bit of tension there already. And Tuchel's quite a narky character, and I mean the way he reacted to the defeat to. Arsenal in in Orlando, I think it was. It was certainly in the States. Uh, obviously, that was probably the only time that Chelsea has been headline news across this summer. It's it's been mainly dominated by by United, and so I, I could I could see a scenario where where Tuchel maybe doesn't see out the season at Chelsea, and of course that means that, that, that there'd have to be an opportunity possibly for for a team to break into the top four. I don't think Tottenham's business has been as as impressive as some have, have, have portrayed it as, you know, they've signed a couple of journeymen, uh, players who are well past their sell by date. Bissouma is a really good signing. I, I, I don't know why more clubs weren't in for him, but someone like Richarlison, he's, he's, he's done decently in the Premier League at, at quite a low level. I have my doubts whether he could really be a hit at, at a higher level and he's got quite a lot of competition and a, a challenge on his hands to force his way into that team with... Kulazewski, Son and Kane. So although United have improved under Ten Hag, and I think Ten Hag, because of the way, just because of the manager they've got now, they've got a manager who is a coach, he's on the training pitch, he's not staying in the office all the time with his assistant manager trying to um, you know, rewind to the to the glory days and is stuck in the past. They've actually got someone who's a proactive coach and telling the players where they're wrong. He's he's disciplined, he's authoritative. I think it is now impossible for them to have a worse season than last season. But the, ultimately, they the, the attack, depending on what happens with Ronaldo, there is some uncertainty there over having a goal scorer who's going to be reliable from August to May. They can't say they've got that because of the Ronaldo situation. And as well as Marshall has done in pre-season, the most important aspect of his preseason is is the injury because he's not playing on Sunday. Mm. Can Rashford step up again? It's a big challenge for him after having a pretty dreadful two years. Sancho has had a very good preseason. You know, they will hope that Ten Hag can coax out the Dortmund form out of him, or certainly the form he showed in February and March under Ralph Rangnick. But beyond those players, that attack is you know, there are a paucity of proven options. And they need two forwards, really. They, they might in the end just get the one forward in, but ideally they'd, they'd get two in. And the midfield situation, it's it's pretty remarkable that they could they could probably will line up with McTominay 
and Fred at the weekend. I think Fred has absolutely deserves his role on the team. He, he's he's a player who, although he's been derided quite a lot, he, he clearly transcends managers. Mourinho, uh, Solskjaer, Rangnick, Ten Hag, Chiche, the, the Brazil coach as well. All of them see merit in picking him. And I thought he would do well under Ten Hag and he, has, he did do well in pre-season. But pairing him with McTominay is just not the way forward. That That is top four at best midfield and it's barely that really. I think the season when they did get back into, into the top four, first of all, with Solskjaer, Matic probably played as big a role in that as McTominay. And it was seen as a stopgap then. So it's pretty remarkable they've not signed an out-and-out central midfielder. And again, mm. the alternatives there, James Garner did not have a fulfilling pre-season, unfortunately, because of the injury he sustained in, in Bangkok. And Donny van der Beek, I mean, hopefully we don't have to speak about him much this season because there's there's not much more to say there. That that game in Perth, you know, the, the the pitch was like a mud bath at Glastonbury, but he turned up expecting to you know to attend the opera. He, he's just so out of sync with the rest of his teammates and and off the pace that you can't you can't give him. You know, we I think we we looked for excuses for him last season, but. They've, they've all expired now. He might just not be up to it at the Premier League. I mean, he didn't pull up any trees on loan at Everton. They stayed up, not because of him. He, he had a, a peripheral role during that, that run-in when, when they got the, the few results they needed to stay up. So I just don't think for Van der Beek, if, if it does happen for him, it'll be a hell of a turnaround because his old manager has come in and Ten Hag, just from what he said about him, you can see why there's little fanfare because something along the way has, has gone wrong. And it at the moment, you wouldn't really be surprised if at some point he ends up back at Ajax. I guess one of the things that might work in Van der Beek's favour is a new substitution rule. Maybe chance that he That's can get true. some yeah. meaningful minutes off the bench in, in certain sure. games. Like I said, Samuel, you can't make any more excuses for him this season. He's got everything in place. He's got the new rule. He's got his manager. You know, key midfielders have left as well. Matic has gone, Pogba's gone, Lingard's gone, Matter's gone. You have to be getting these chances. You've got to be taking it by the scruff of the neck. And if you can't do that, then time has to be up. Have to be ruthless. Frankie de Jong, again, you know, he was a player mentioned in the press conference today. Ten Hag, Rice smile when he said, We want Frankie with a question mark emphasized at the end. He knows the questions were inevitable. He knew the questions were going to come today. You've mentioned the Chelsea earlier as well, and the fact that they are just trying to make statement signings this summer and trying to buy whoever they can. They've spent a lot of money on Cucurella, the team linked with De Jong. They, you know, maybe they would try and blow United out of the water just because they want to make this statement and try and you know enforce their power under their new owner. What is the latest on De Jong? And are United still confident of a deal? And do you think that one can still be achieved before deadline day? Yes, but it's certainly in the balance now, just because of how long it's taking. They've they've agreed a, over, I've told it agreement overall for eighty five million euros, which is I think seventy one and a half million pounds. I mean, I think that will be quite a lot of that will be add ons, um, but the wage deferral is is still the sticking point, and that's been the sticking point for about a month now. I think. I mean, ultimately, De Jong is owed seventeen million euros in unpaid wages from Barcelona, so. Although he's not rocking the boat and exactly you know, itching to join United, or you know, appears to be, um, that he's certainly not giving the impression that he's itching to join United. If 
if your employer owed you 17 million euros, you you probably wouldn't rock the boat. Um, it's a hell of a lot of money. And really, the way Barcelona have been allowed to behave this summer um, and act is is not a good advert whatsoever for for football as as a business and just from a moral perspective as well uh, to be that amount of money in debt more than a billion pounds in debt I think it is and they've signed five players um, not all of them have been frees I think Lewandowski was obviously a fee I think Kessie was a fee wasn't he and obviously Jules Kunde as well who they signed from from Sevilla and these players and and uh, is it Rafinha from from Leeds they signed as well for quite a lot of money so mm. they've they've spent a lot of money and these players cannot be registered to play in La Liga next week which is is embarrassing really but because they've signed players and they've been really proactive and they've signed some notable names of course their online following it's like oh you know, Juan Laporta's doing it again. He's great. And yeah, he is great at certain things, but it's pretty embarrassing and a really messy reflection of, of their finances that these players, as it stands, cannot play against Raul Vallecano next week. And the fact that, you know, Barcelona have signed a midfielder when they've already got Pedri and Gavi and, and Busquets is obviously going to see out his career there, you would think. Um, I think De Jong only played in midfield, started in midfield once in pre-season and lasted a half, and that was in the final game. Xavi played him at centre-back, and they've just signed two centre-backs in Kunde and Andreas Christensen. So they're undermining him at every turn. And then Laporta is still coming out with this uh, guff about how he's not for sale, which if there's a right-minded Barcelona fan out there who believes him on that, they should be put in a straitjacket really because there's, they're clearly not sound of mind. So, you know, there's some frustration on United's part that somewhat understandably because of recent history, they're portrayed as the dysfunctional club who are approaching, what is it? The, the 13 week, I think we're on day 86 of trying to sign Frankie Dion and they don't like the fact, obviously, that it, it's, it reflects badly on them, which it does. But the manager, Ten Hag, really wants him. He's decided he's going to be the fulcrum of his team. And they are emboldened by Ten Hag's working relationship and you know, he, just, just knowing De Jong to continue backing him. There, there are people at United who can't get their head why they haven't just walked away because it would have been in their interests. But they want the manager wants De Jong, and the alternatives are nothing like Frankie De Jong. They're they're not deemed to be um, at the same level. They don't have the same skill set, and you can completely believe that because he is a unique player. Um, he's a very specific type of player. I mean, he's obviously a, a deep lying midfielder, but he's not defensive minded. And the way he operates on the ball is the way you know a playmaker would 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 operate, or you associate a playmaker with operating. And Ten Hag reiterated it again today. I mean, he did mention De Jong by name in, as you say, in that quite um, uh, amusing terms. I think one of us was deliberating whether to put a question mark at the end of it or, or a full <laughs> stop, which would have been extremely misleading. And I don't believe anybody did that. Um, but uh, going back to that point, he said again, it has to be the right player. And there, has, there will have to be a cut-off point where you say, look, the right player is not attainable. It's not going to happen. We need to get an alternative in. But that cut-off point is still a while off. And Ten Hag clearly feels emboldened by 
from what he's spoken to De Jong about the prospect of playing for United to continue with this pursuit, he's relayed that to United and United are backing him. So there, there is an element of they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. If you mm. would have a little look in on social media, they're just damned whatever they do. So I, I sympathise with certain people at United because they are they are backing a manager and trying to sign a Netherlands international from Barcelona who could have a transformative effect on the team. But everybody is just very, very tired of it um, because, as I said, we're on day 86 and we will, I reckon, we'll probably pass, well, we'll certainly pass the 90-day mark and there's every chance we'll break the 100-day mark as well, which, I mean, it's probably happened before with a, pl- with a club pursuing a player, but it's difficult to think of, of many recent examples. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, it's an interesting dynamic because fans keep on saying, back the manager, back the manager. They are back the manager because they're still yeah. pursuing his top target, the player he wants the most. And, you know, the longer it goes on, yes, they look a bit more foolish, but they've got to they've got to do that. And the whole point of taking this educated risk, really, on Ten Hag was that they're going to put faith on it in, in him. The club probably wouldn't have said, go out and buy a new left-back, but Ten Hag wanted one, so they did yeah. it. And the left-back's come and he's been good. Ericsson, again, they might have been a sign. They said, well, it reminds us a bit of what we used to do, so maybe don't go for him. But Ten Hag wanted him, saw the value that he can add to the team. He's come in. Lissandro Martinez wasn't the first choice from the club, yeah. but it's who the manager wanted, so they brought him in. And again with De Jong, you've just got to back Ten Hag in this. And if he believes a deal still can be done, I think you just got to got to go with that. And you know the Ronaldo situation as well. They've just let Ten Hag deal with it, deal with it the way he wants to. And obviously, we'll get accused of being Glazer sympathisers for giving any sort of credit to United for the way that they are handling it. But you've got to got to give them credit for actually giving the manager what he wants so far this summer. And until the window finishes, you've got to keep backing him as well. This weekend, then Samuel Marshall is out. The options. Well, are there any options? That's the question. I know you've already been on social media saying it's a no-brainer, basically. Ronaldo, even a half-fit Ronaldo has to start because he is so much better than what United have in reserve. Maybe that goes against the principles of, of the discipline he's he's been having since the Vallecano game. He obviously, obviously missed tour as well. If we start talking about just cold, hard minutes, of all the players who featured in preseason, 34 United players featured in preseason, the only three who had less minutes than Ronaldo were Isaac Hansen Arun, Will Fish, and Shola Shoretere. So Ronaldo's got the fourth lowest minutes, but you know, Ronaldo hardly loses fitness anyway. I, we already know what your answer is going to be. Ronaldo has to start this weekend, or do you think that you that you can argue against it because of the fact that he hasn't featured in preseason? He maybe needs to be punished for leaving the match early last weekend. But like you said, if if it's not Ronaldo, who is it? Elanga. It's, it's not a viable alternative, is it? There's a cogent argument to be made to have Alanga in the team, as Laurie Whitwell tried to um, suggest <laughs> earlier when we were at Carrington, and I just told him, no, you're, you're wrong. It, it doesn't make any sense. And it's quite heartening to know Laurie had had a bit of stick about putting Alanga in his team as well, because I, it's nothing, obviously, absolutely nothing personal against Alanga. It's never personal with, with players. You're just given an objective opinion. But Alanga from watching him in pre-season, the one start he had, he was nigh on anonymous against Melbourne victory. His form since that break breakthrough moment or breakout moment maybe against Atletico when he scored the equaliser has been under underwhelming at best. I feel sorry for him because I think after the Atletico game, he started against 
Watford and it was the best he'd played as a starter. But he missed a really, really good chance in the second half on a day where United had enough chances to win a month full of matches, it felt like, and they ended drawing nil-nil against a team that were doomed and, and destined for relegation. So he's not had a real a particularly good time of it since then. There have been very few United players individually who've actually performed, but it was pretty clear from the outset that you know, Ralph Rangnick saw a legacy to leave in, in Anthony Elanga. Elanga at junior level was not necessarily a player who who stood out, who you saw as, you know, he's one of the top three in, in his class. He, he, he wasn't the name that got people excited. He had a bad injury that kept him out for a while in... I think the 1920 season, and as as we a lot of us wrote at the time, it was a credit to him that he got fit. Then lockdown happened, unfortunately, so he had a long time without playing very much at all. But he still forced his way into the plans of of Solskjaer. Obviously, Solskjaer being Solskjaer, Elanga didn't know if he was coming or going last summer, and then Rangnick came in. He, he was intent on going out on loan, and. Um, I think Rangnick said he was the best in training for his first session, made an immediate impression, and he was in the first team set up and very heavily involved for the rest of, of last season. But he's a, he's a squad player at best. He could develop into a better player, but for the time being, I just see him as someone to bring on and maybe impact games, and he's he's got to evolve his game. With with Ronaldo, as I said already, he's he's the greatest goal scorer in the game's history. I know there's baggage there. I know he will um, irk people. The, the headlines are not always positive, but I knew this already because I was following United 14, 15 years ago when he was agitating to join Real Madrid. And a really good manager manages the situation. And there are certain parallels with 2008 in that he wants out... Uh, the manager has publicly said that he wants to keep him, and there's yet there's still uncertainty about his future. I think it's safe to say he will not be a United player this year. Sorry, this time next year. But while he is still a player at United, you have got to maximise the asset, and he was an asset last season. Um, you know, okay, it was it was a horrendous season for United, but I still think it would have been worse if they didn't have Ronaldo. He, you know. Gate granted Solskjaer a few stay of executions by winning games and Rangnick's tenure would have been a lot worse without Ronaldo because he, he scored a number of, of winning goals during during that time. I, I know it might be anathema to some who just think that you know if, if if they don't want to play for the club, get rid of them. And I see that point, but you have to be pragmatic. And in this day and age of football, there are very few players at the top level who have a real genuine attachment to the club they're playing for. So as long as Ronaldo is at United, I think they've just got to they've got to maximise him. If he goes, so be it. If a team come in with an agreeable offer, uh, accept it, let him let him go. Um, it's it's got to the point where I think for those of us who have just covered the whole um, the whole affair that we, we don't care whether he, he stays or goes from from a selfish perspective we've, we've watched him play play for United last season it was a privilege watching him play covering him a uh, good while it lasted on, on an individual basis for him but if he goes so be it as long as obviously United get quality attackers in to offset his departure 
And again, that comes full circle, as we said before. The priority and the focus for Ten Hag is to win matches. He's the man out of magic, he has to win yeah. matches. And this weekend, he's got a better chance of doing so with Ronaldo in the squad. And that's my, I think that's the opinion that most fans will have, even if they're reluctant to, to go with it. You know, you've got the greatest goal scorer in the history of the men's game. So why would you not try and use him to to get, even if it's a short-term game, even if it's not in United's long-term interests, keep Ronaldo until you've got someone else, be it Martial fit or you've got another player in the door, you might as well use him to, to your full advantage because there's no point keeping him on the bench instead. Samuel then, this weekend, team selection. It again seems like we've already got a kind of clear idea of how Ten Hag will want this team to line up. We saw that with almost the blueprint of that Atletico game last always going to be that hierarchy sort of established across the two friendlies who is in the starting lineup and who is on the periphery still do you expect any wild card selections maybe Ronaldo is the wild card selection and in terms of the other two new signings Ericsson and Martinez do you think it is still a bit early for them both to start I'd like to see both of them start just for the sake of the variety and he said to us in in Melbourne, Martinez has been brought to strengthen the team, not the squad. And okay, sometimes you ease a player in, but I, I've never been a fan of this whole, oh, we, you know, we've only signed him recently. He's got to ease his way in. Like They, they did that with Van Persie um, for the first game of the season at Everton and Rooney started and he was abysmal. He was so bad. He was, he was overweight and he was dropped for the next game and United lost. 1-0 when Fellaini monstered Michael Carrick at a corner. Uh, Carrick was playing at centre-back that evening because I think I think Rio Fernand and it might have been Johnny Evans were injured, so Carrick had to drop back. But I've, I've just never been a fan of this whole, oh, we need to ease him in, give him time, just, just put him in the team straight away. And, uh, OK, Martinez hasn't played with, with Maguire yet, but they've got to play together at some point. And you're not going to play them in a friendly. You're going to have to play them together in a competitive game. And it's better to play them against Brighton at home, I would argue, than away at Brentford against Ivan Tomey or against Liverpool at home uh, nine days later when it could be Nunez or Salah or Firmino or uh, Luis Diaz or Diogo Jota pairing at you. It's better to play them against Brighton, who, good team though they are, they have lacked a a 20-goal-a-season striker. Um, that's always been a problem with Brighton. They've never been the sharpest up top. They've they've had you know, laudable forwards who are, who are very selfless, like Mope or, or Welbeck, but they're not particularly brilliant goal scorers in the Premier League. So that's the way to ease him in, play him against Brighton this weekend. And as far as the midfield is concerned, I would play Ericsson deep just to try and get him and Fernandes in the same team. I think it is just about manageable. Of course, Ericsson, you know, United build him as a playmaker last week, that which which says it all. Everybody, you think Christian Ericsson, you think a number 10. Um, that's that's the area where he's operated in, probably the most in his career and where he's most synonymous with as well. And okay, he's he is there to keep Fernandes on his toes and, and, and offer real credible competition. But for this weekend, given the state of play where there's not been a new midfielder in, I, I would play him deep with Fred. Again, Brighton, that Basuma caicedo axis, which absolutely uh, bullied United in, in May, that's that's been broken up. And I'm, I'm not underestimating Brighton at all, uh, You know, just dismissing them because Basuma is gone or Cucurella is gone. But I think United, 
given the circumstances this weekend, you're playing at home, first game of the season. I think it's it's far more understandable to be playing Ericsson, Fred and Fernandez as the midfield three um, and, and more progressive as well, which is obviously the buzzword that, that Ten Hag has been using, than <laughs> Tomini, Fred and Fernandez. That said, if Ericsson doesn't start, he's an obvious game changer to bring on. And it will be interesting to see whatever the scenario this season, how, how Ten Hag goes about substitutions. Because as you said earlier, you can make you can make five subs now. So you've you've got a hell of a lot of options to to consider if you're if you're chasing a game or you're you're, you're trying to get a winning goal or, or or see out a game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think I fully agree with this. I mean, like I said, I, I think Martinez just has to start. That's what like you said, that's what he's been brought yeah. in for. You need to get that partnership established early on, particularly with De Gea behind to have that rhythm of playing with the same centre backs every single week and Maguire is quite clearly, you know, he's still a captain, he's first choice, and then Martinez offers something completely different as his as his partner there. And again, I think that'll make Maguire better. I thought Maguire was very good against Atletico Madrid and I think he'll get yeah. even better again if he's got this regular partner who complements his game, which I don't think he's always had. So yeah, I think back four of Dallo, Maguire, Martinez, Malassia midfield I think it'll probably be McTominay and Fred with Ericsson off the bench just because you know it's quite risk averse for this is the number 10 Sancho Rashford and Ronaldo up top but whether that happens or not we we will wait and see of course we will bring you all the team news on the Man United uh, Manchester News Man United page over the weekend and any squad news as well as and when we get it Samuel I guess the final question is what do you actually think will happen on Sunday do you think United will get off to that winning start that Ten Hag is so desperate for I think they will win, which which may shock some some listeners or, or viewers. But I've I've seen enough in preseason to be encouraged by them, you know, to to think they will beat Brighton, which is you know it's baby steps really. And, and as I said, Brighton have lost a couple of key players as well this summer. So I think United are in a decent place to to beat Brighton at Old Trafford. Which again, the fact that we're you know, questioning whether they're they're out out and out favourites for this game is is a sign of how far they've fallen over, over the last year in particular. But you know, although they are short in that squad, uh, I, the way the players have adapted to Ten Hag's demands, watching them in pre-season, I, I was I was actually a bit surprised by how how well they did adapt to to his style because of just how bad last season was it was very current still um just the the, the shambolic defeats the surrenders but they, they they reminded us on tour that you know they are good players they have have a higher mm. ceiling than last season suggested last season was the absolute nadir I, I would be, i think it would be a real a real struggle to to see a worse United season in my lifetime, really, uh, just just because of how bad last season was. So yeah, I have I have faith in them to beat Brighton this week and Liverpool at home later this month. Maybe not. I think they'll probably need a few signings to to um, fuel my optimism for that one. But I, I, yeah, I, I think they'll actually win this weekend which could be, you know, those those words could come back to haunt me. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I, again, I always bring it up, but we, of course we had that famous, the infamous Sheffield United at home game where we all backed them and said, if there's one game United are going to win, it's going to be Sheffield United at home. And of course they didn't win. And I guess that's the fun of reporting on United. You do never know what you're going to expect and particularly in this yeah. new era as well. Will it be all talk or will you not be able to walk the walk as well this weekend? Who knows? But we will be there at the Manchester United News to cover the game. We'll bring you all the updates from all 
Trafford and all the build-up, of course, across the weekend. So, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich, and see you Sunday. Yeah, we'll see you Sunday. And thank you very much wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll be back again next week to look back at United's opener against Brighton and look ahead to the second game against Brentford.